Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Austin. Good morning, Lake Baldwin. Well, as human beings, relationships are an unavoidable aspect of our existence. Uh, Even though technology and the pandemic uh, have given us ways to avoid each other, relationships are really unavoidable. And that's a good thing. I mean, relationships can be wonderful, but they can also they can also be fraught with difficulty, with pain, with misery. Uh, it reminds me of a meme I saw recently. It said this: that relationships are like a walk in the park, Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> Getting torn up and eaten. Or this, I've heard this many times in ministry, unfortunately, and many of you are in ministry yourselves. Ministry would be great except for the people. People. Sad, isn't it? In this life, we all have relationships and we all experience some form of brokenness in our relationships. We don't have perfect relationships. You know, I can think of so many examples in my own life where relationships were strained or broken or had issues or problems. I can remember an example from the past where me and a good friend, we had a huge falling out, a huge argument. And I can remember, at least from my perspective, me being overbearing, me being controlling, me being preoccupied and selfish. Well, fortunately... That friend and me, we reconciled. But, but here's the reality. Even after we reconciled, I still felt a lingering distance, a lingering awkwardness. Do they really accept me? Do they really love me? Do I need to do something even more? Can I text them? Can I call them? Do I have access to them? Relationships are super complex organisms. And relationships are not perfect. 
And yet in our passage this morning, we're going to come to this startling idea that when we look at the unfathomable, lavish love of God in Jesus, we're going to see that he perfectly restores our relationship with him. And now by perfect, this is what I mean. That God himself satisfies all the conditions, all the requirements, all that is necessary to reconcile us to himself. He does all the work. Jesus paid for our sin. Jesus gives us his righteousness. Jesus utterly exhausts, drains out to the very last drop all of God's wrath for us. That's what I mean by perfectly restores, perfectly reconciles us to God. But what I don't mean is that our experience this morning, your experience, even my experience this morning, is not full, is not perfect. We live in the now and the not yet, but yet when we look at the passage this morning, we get a glimpse, we get an understanding, a feeling of what this perfect relationship can be marked by. And we see that it can be marked by an abiding peace and a privileged access and an unshakable hope. Not awkwardness, not distance, not avoiding, not hiding, not doubting, but an abiding peace, privileged access and an unshakable hope. We can see this abiding peace in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture is saying that through Jesus, our relationship with God is perfectly restored and there is peace. Now, human beings, I mean, we all, every single one of us in this room, we long for peace. And we're living in a world where we're looking at conflict all across the world, in the Middle East, and in Ukraine and Russia, we see the lack of peace. And I'm sure, just like me, you experience friction, tension in your relationships. And just like me, you need peace in your heart because you struggle with fears. You struggle with stress and issues and anxiety. You need that peace as well. Peace is the subject of countless songs. I think of John Lennon's song, Imagine. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Living life in peace. I read an article recently in The Atlantic. It's a fascinating article. The author, his, his thesis was, he was trying to prove, has war existed for all of human history? And so he was looking at the archaeological record. He didn't quite conclude that war has always been with us, but he did see that as far back as you can go in human history, the records show that there was violence. They would unearth in the archaeological record skeletons where there was an axe buried in someone's skull. A lack of peace has been present ever since the fall. Ever since we as human beings shook our fists at God and rebelled against him. Adam and Eve, what happened? Awkwardness, 
hiding from God, wondering about their relationship with him. And then their, their sons, Cain and Abel, violence. Human peace has always been elusive for us. How can we obtain peace? Where do we go from here? The scripture is showing us the very starting point for any type of peace is to first have peace with God. This world will never know peace apart from peace through Jesus. You will never know peace in your heart apart from the reconciling work of Jesus, restoring your relationship with your creator. The world is broken. What can we do? And scripture is giving us the answer by faith through Jesus, by faith through Jesus. Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God, not some political party, not some new position that you may be thinking about, not some new possession that you're wanting, not some other relationship. No, peace is found in our relationship with God through Jesus. And if we rest in faith in Jesus's completing work, completed work, this is what scripture declares, an amazing truth. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an abiding peace. Why? Because it is kept by God himself. It rests on God's performance and not ours. You know, when World War I ended with the signing of the Treaty of Versailles, Germany had to abide by a lot of requirements. They had to give up territory. They had to pay reparations. There were so many conditions in there for Germany. They had to meet these conditions in order for there to be a lasting peace. And the good news for us this morning is our peace with God. It does not rest on you and me satisfying some kind of condition. It rests on the finished work of Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus exhausted God's wrath. And so God himself, he is the source of peace. He is the maintainer of peace. He is also the giver of peace. And so when we, when we think about ourselves wanting to feel peace, that subjective experience of peace, it has to first start with the objective fact. Are you reconciled to God through Jesus? How is your relationship with God? Are you reconciled through Jesus? Has Jesus brought you near to him? Eliminated the distance, eliminated the alienation, eliminated that awkward feeling, the estrangement, the hostilities. And if he has, we can experience what Philippians 4, 7 calls the peace of God which surpasses all understanding the world doesn't know this type of peace. 
It doesn't experience this type of peace. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, you are reconciled to the Father through the work of Jesus. You can experience this type of abiding peace through Jesus. This is what Jesus would say in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Did you notice Jesus is the giver of peace? He is the source of, the, of peace. It is something that we open up our arms and we collapse and we receive it. He doesn't give it as the world gives. We don't have to perform for it. He gives it freely. Jesus is the source, the maintainer, the giver of peace. And God himself is the one who initiated that peace process. He satisfied all the conditions for our relationship to flourish. And so our relationship with God, it can be marked by this abiding peace. It can also be marked by a privileged access. You see this in verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Jesus is what it's saying. It's saying we have a privileged access we have favor. We can go into the presence of the king. Now, throughout human history, kings and great rulers, they are the ones who have the prerogative to determine who comes into their presence, who has their favor. If, if you're a, fa a fan of The Crown, you know that this week, season six dropped, right? And it always amazes me when I watch The Crown when I look at Prince Charles, and we, we saw this in, in uh, this past week in one of the episodes, how he, even he, the son of the queen, has to gain access to his mummy, right? You know, he's always bound his head like this, you know, always very tentative before the queen, his mom. She gets determined, is he in favor or not? Can he even have access to the queen or not, she determines it. You also see this concept in the book of Esther where Esther is granted favor, right? This is a time when at that portion of the world that Persia was the dominant power. Look at Esther 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in the front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. No one can just go barging into the king's presence. No one can, can garner the favor. The king gets to determine who has favor. And here you see in this biblical example that Esther gained favor with the king of Persia and was allowed into the presence. And our scripture says, through him, that is through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, we have gained access through Jesus to God, our great king. You know, the stunning news about this is he grants access 
to us who were hostile enemies. What, what king on planet Earth has ever granted favored access to hostile enemies? It's a privileged access that cannot be revoked based on what we do. How great of a week we had, how much we've read the Bible or not, how much we've sinned or not. We have this favored grace and it doesn't rise and fall based on our performance. It rests solely on the performance of Jesus. It's why the author to the Hebrews would say this in 1019, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence. We sang about it earlier. Boldness to approach the throne. And it's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we've done, but it's because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. With earthly kings, there's, there's tentativeness, there's doubt. Am I in favor or not? Have I done enough? Have I done the wrong things? It's like what we see in Prince Charles, always wondering, do I have my mom's favor, the, the queen? And not only that, our access is unlimited and unconditional. We actually have the unlimited data plan. It's not subject to the mood swings of the king. No, our king's attitude towards us is always one of favored grace. This past week, I ran across an amazing passage in Jeremiah 32. In 32.41, it says this. You want to know God's posture towards you? Here it is. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. What is God's heart towards us? All his heart, all his soul burning to do us good and to rejoice in it. Is that the view that you have of our great God? Or is he a stingy God holding back good from you? And scripture confronts us and says, no, he's a God who wants to extend favored grace to you. He always is inviting us in, always holding out the scepter and ready for you. You know, these uh, iPhones are wonderful things at times. It has a do not disturb feature. I don't know if, if uh, the Android has that same feature. One of the things I discovered is you can actually put in there who can override the do not disturb. You guys probably all knew that, tech savvy people. Um, but you know who I have in my override? I'll, I'll let you know. And you guys are not in it, sorry. <laughs> but my family is. My kids are in there. And my wife, Debbie. So no matter what time of day, it doesn't matter what time of night, who I'm with, what meeting I'm in, what I'm doing, I want to hear from my family. They have privileged access to me at any time they can call me and I am going to pick up the phone and take that call. That's the access we have to the Father 
through Jesus. We have this kind of privilege, access, because we are his children, his favored children. Our access is unlimited and unconditional. Isn't that, doesn't it strike you that if you have the unlimited data plan with God, a God who, whose burning desire is to do good to you, to show you favor grace, won't you want to flee to him? When, when I got the unlimited data plan on our phone, I wore it out. I wore it out. Wear out your access to God. His arms are open wide for you this morning. And lastly, our relationship with God can be marked by an unshakable joy in verses two and three. Through him, we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, for me, this scripture this morning is hard scripture. It's hard scripture because it's hard to experience this kind of unshakable joy. And I need to hear this morning, where is my joy rooted? Where is it coming from? And scripture is saying, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That we do have a brighter future. One day the splendor, the majesty, the utter glory of God that we cannot fathom will be revealed to us and will be revealed in us. He's going to restore us. We are broken reflectors, broken images. He's going to perfectly restore it and we're going to reflect his glory. You know, there's nothing in this world that can hold a candle to the glory that's to come. We may think that there's so many things in this world that can grab us and give us joy. Oh, no. Nothing, nothing can compare to the glory that is to come. We have a much brighter future. Don't settle for the cheap imitations of this world. It says also that we can rejoice in our sufferings. Why not in the sufferings itself? Because that would be... Sadistic, right? No, we rejoice because of what the sufferings are producing for us. In verse 4, it says it's producing endurance, character, and a hope that does not put us to shame. A hope that doesn't disappoint us. A hope that doesn't fail us. And you may be wondering, well, how can this hope be so secure? How can it not put us to shame and verse 5 gives us the answer, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we see that Christian joy during suffering, it's rooted in two things. It's rooted in a hope for a brighter future, and it's rooted in a secure and loving relationship. You know, if you don't have hope when you're, when you're going through suffering, you're going you're gonna to despair. We need to, we need to know that things are going to be better than what we are going through. If you, if you are going through a terminal illness and you don't know Jesus and, and your hope and your joy is in 
something other than Jesus, it's not going to last. You don't have a certainty of a brighter future. That's what Christian hope is. Christian hope is not a wishful thinking. Christian hope is certainty of a bright future. And we have that hope in Jesus. But here's the reality. We need more than a certain future to help us in our times of suffering. I know I do. You know, in, in early 2022, I was in the hospital for 11 days uh, with COVID. Those were long days, long hours, long nights. You, you know what kept me going? Debbie's visits. And it, it's sad. The policy for the hospital was only two short visits a day for a very short period of time. And I just remember the grueling hours ticking away, and I would be thinking, okay, is it almost time? Is she going to walk through that door? And I would be fixated on the door. When would she come in? And when she came in, my heart would leap for joy, and when she left, my joy would fade. See, no one wants to suffer alone. But it's not just anybody who's going to do, right? We all probably have experienced suffering and have the wrong person come along. And it's not helpful when it's the wrong person. Who is the right person? The right person is the one who loves us, who brings us that security, who knows what we are going through, who really understands. And isn't that what we have here in Scripture in verse 5? It's the Holy Spirit given to us, the Comforter. We have the Spirit of Jesus with us to comfort us. The Spirit of Jesus who knows suffering. The infinite God, powerful Mighty, uncontained in his burning love for you, with you, in your suffering. Many of you know Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, she's famous because she and her husband were missionaries in Ecuador to a tribe there. They were bringing the gospel there, but if you know her story, you know that her husband was killed by that tribe. This is what she would say. Christ is sufficient. The most widely divergent sorrows may all be taken to the foot of the same old rugged cross and find there cleansing, peace, and joy. Christ is sufficient. It sounds a little bit absurd because she's saying the infinite, all-powerful, almighty God is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. But it is true. But he's not just an infinite, powerful God. He is a God who suffered for us. And that same Jesus who suffered for us is the one who is with us in our suffering. That's how we can have joy. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, by faith, in Jesus, you can have a joy because the future is so bright you're going to need sunglasses. 
you can't believe what your heavenly father has in store for you. Nothing on this earth will live up to that. You can also have joy because Jesus is with you in your suffering. And lastly, verse 11 tells us, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have joy in Jesus because if Jesus is with you, your joy can't be shaken. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, we long, we yearn for that day of peace to come where, where that objective peace that has been accomplished by your son will be finally realized. We will experience peace that the planet has not known for so long. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come and bring peace. Bring peace even now to your people who long for it, who struggle with anxiety and depression and discouragement, who are weighed down with weariness of this world and sin. Lord, point us to your son that in him we have peace, we have access, and we have joy. It's in his name we pray, amen.